Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. My daughter and I, Carly, are so excited to travel to Poland to work with the um, children, Ukrainian children, and all the people who are staying with Amber and Paul in two weeks, and we're going to be performing with the children a circus. And we just um, are so excited. And I would like to continue reading the War Diaries, July 12, 2002, day 139. The weather has turned suddenly to autumn. I'm wearing my sweater and scouring through books of poetry and remembering books I once had like A Woman Born and The Yellow Wallpaper that I gave away in a fit of passion to other women whom I thought needed them, but now wishing I had them in hand to thumb through the pages, far reaching in their wisdom as they are. For I have nothing myself terribly profound to say today. Room 11, Anastasia, her sister, and their mother are returning to the Ukraine on Thursday. Paul and Jordan will drive them to the Polish border town at Przemysl, where they plan to take a train to Lviv, then to Zaporizhia. Their menfolk are waiting there, plus the cat. Yes, I know. Zapor Azizia under vicious attacks the past few days, but they've been told that it's relatively calm now and they're only returning to pack their things and then move west. It will take a few weeks for the whole process to complete itself before they will be one family again living in Lviv. This is a story I will carry close to heart until they write from their new home. It's a risk, but perhaps a more calculated one with Russian eyes elsewhere for the moment. The other residents are wary and there are tears of concern. The roads are unpredictable. There are landmines along many of them, and how far will they have to travel alone or on public transport before their husbands and fathers reunite with them? I understand why they are moving back. Kiznia needs to take an entrance exam for the university or else lose a whole year of school. But I'm not sure if this is the motivation of their decision, at least not in its entirety. They are homesick. They miss their husbands and father. How could they not? Are they even completely conscious of why they left a protected space for one, a potential danger, grave danger? As Paul would say, this is not the right question to ask. Not the right question because it either has no answer or the question is unknown to all participating parties. So what's my question? The truth is, I don't have an answerable question. I only have unanswerable ones. Like this one, for example, are governments necessary? 
in true Tolstoyan fashion, I beg the question, because as far as I can tell, they breed patriarchy, grandiosity, and patriotism, all of which cause dreadful wars, brutality, the killing of innocent people, most of whom are women, children, and the vulnerable. They make laws to possess and occupy, but not to honor and respect. Is it any wonder why we live in such violent times? When a young boy sees his mother treated disrespectfully, abused at home by men, and then must witness further her acceptance of such treatment, it will ultimately lead to the conditioning of violence. We are devolving at the present time in our attitudes of apathy and inertia, and the system in which we live is broken. There is no dependable leadership on the global stage. From where I stand, women all over the world are at risk. They and their children have become the scapegoat for what the collective cannot bear to look at within itself. Therefore, it must control with an even tighter grip. Meanwhile, the new face of those in exile is of those who are being asked to leave their host home for a variety of reasons. Some hosts claim to be tired and want the exiles out. Five months is long enough, generous enough without much thought given to the, the, their vulnerability. We also hear stories of great tension mounting in tight quarters. But whatever the reason, this weekend we are receiving a grandmother and her 13-year-old grandson whose mother is still in Bucha. They will take Diana's room where our newborn stayed. Following, we expect another family escaping from the Donbass area, senior parents with their daughter. They will stay in room 11 where Anastasia had been. So this is us again at full capacity. I don't know what sent me to bookshelves looking for Rich and Gilman. I suppose the whole idea of motherhood to mothering did. Does anyone read these books anymore? Do young mothers talk about boredom and the feeling of confinement? I remember when Zach was small and I really did enjoy being around him. He had this infectious laugh and was quite entertaining. But then there were times when I didn't enjoy it and I didn't want to play, but wanted to read and write and travel and be alone without the responsibility for another. Yet there we were, the two of us both in this dual embryonic states, each growing into our own evolving consciousness. How does one stay the course these days? It's inherent in my nature to mother and to care for one another. So I woke up every day committed to this little stick of a boy who hadn't a care in the world, frequently having to remind myself that I was a good enough mother when I wasn't so engaged or cheerful. The test came, came again in his adult years when he needed me once more, when the stakes were high as to whether we would succeed or not. But by grace, Paul and the amazing family we have, there was a victory. In a world where the inhabitants are increasingly isolated and psychotic, one has to wonder if the absence of care and commitment to care is one of the missing pieces to this puzzle. When an overculture, when an overculture hasn't, hasn't systems in place for care or to care, then the whole of society reflects this. In some instances, even justifies the premature turning at 
onto the street those in need of long-term assistance. It's a big question, the question of how we mother ourselves, how we mother each other. The question of sacrifice is invariably the first obstacle one encounters or the self-serving viewpoint of what's in it for me can't be bothered. And this I fear is leading us down a dead end road. All this to say that it's not always easy, but when did easy become the goal? As Jung pointed out, one holds the opposites until there is a transcendence. What does that look like in an ordinary domestic setting if we were to stay the course of motherhood to mothering? It looks like a vibrant and healthy home in which family members are at liberty to express themselves, their shadow, their fears, and their aspirations. It's a place for good moods and bad ones, a place of misunderstandings and reconciliations. It's a container of success and failure alike. It's a place of love and acceptance. War Diaries, July 27, 2002, day 154. This is 2022. <laughs> this is a quote from Robert Henry, American painter and teacher. Art, where really understood, is the province of every human being. It is simply a question of doing things, anything well. It is not an outside extra thing. Where the artist is alive in any person, whatever his kind of work may be, he becomes an inventive, searching, daring, self-expressing creature. He becomes interesting to other people. He disturbs, upsets, enlightens, and he opens ways for a better understanding. Where those who are not artists are trying to close the book, he opens it, shows there are still more pages possible. He does not have to be a painter or sculptor to be an artist. He can find work in any medium. He simply has to find the gain in the work itself, not outside it. Muse museums of art will not make a country an art country, but where there is this art spirit, there will be precious works to fill museums. Better still, there will be the happiness that is in the making. Art tends towards balance, order, judgment of relative values, the laws of growth, the economy of living, very good things for anyone to be interested in. Once again, that's from Robert Henry, an American painter and teacher from 1865 to 1929. I was talking with an old friend yesterday via Skype, and as we were hanging up, she commented to some now forgotten question. I would know you don't keep in touch anymore. It was a very painful reminder that my life has changed in ways that will never again return to its previous landscape. There's a profound loss and sacrifice in which giving of yourself is only the first step. Before the war started, Paul and I were invited to our nephew, by our nephew, to Korozwiki for a special Valentine's Day dinner. It was a very exciting evening for us because Andrew offered to ferry us both ways so that we could drink champagne without having to appoint a designated driver. The place was packed with young and old romantic hopefuls, all their dreams crowded into one night of celebration. 
That night, Andrew asked if we were seriously going to open our doors to refugees, should there be war. Paul, being droll, said that if a bus full of Ukrainians were to pull up to the house, he would certainly invite them inside. We never expected the presage of such a comment to literally manifest at our doorstep in less than two weeks. One opens the door. Five months into sheltering, I can honestly say nothing compares to the grinding down of bone one bears in the new responsibility of human care. If we accept this responsibility because it knocked at the door, it will change everything about our lives in much of the same way one is changed when a child is born. The sacrifice to the child is great and can't help but alter our external circumstances as a result. Last night, Jordan made us a delicious dinner of slow roasted cherry tomatoes, toasted ciabatta, a fried egg, basil, and a touch of Rofort. The community sits at the same table throughout the day, but sharing only the lunchtime meal. Breakfast and dinner are what individual families make for themselves. Several others joined us in conversation which at first was breezy and quite cheerful. We were discussing the upcoming plans for the circus coming mid-August. I am writing a play which will be translated into Ukrainian. Others will be making costumes. Friends coming from America will bring freight face paint instruments and masks. It was an untroubled gathering until in a word, a glance, a pause, as one can never pinpoint the exact moment it all changes. End quotes. Books are to be burned in the oblast around Kharkiv. Oblast means regions. End of quote. Apparently, in regions under Russian occupation, all Ukrainian textbooks written after 1992 are mandated to be burned. These books are no longer valid for the new curriculum. The Ukrainian language is no longer allowed in schools. Teachers who have been teaching for several decades must now submit to those demands or be charged with collaboration with the enemy. There are a series of other stories mentioned about mothers whose sons are now in Russian prisons. We also heard of how their friends waiting at a bus stop were injured by a missile strike. They were taken to a hospital. What makes it so hard as an observer? One wakes in the morning to people who need something. There is always a need, usually multiple ones. Paul gets by well because he speaks serviceable Russian. I speak kitchen Polish at best. When he is around, things go more smoothly since most guests communicate in Russian. But there are those who will only speak Ukrainian, which is difficult for either of us to understand. Thus, the day begins. No one has a car, so Paul and I have to run most errands personally. A frequent need is to see a doctor or have a prescription filled. That requires an early morning drive of several miles to the clinic to stand in line for an appointment. If you're lucky, you get an appointment that day. Otherwise, you return the next day. No longer can you make an appointment by phone. All prescription refills have to be personally signed off by a doctor. 
Lately, he's had to drive to Kiel's an hour away to take one to the dentist, another to the hospital for a post-op visit, still more to specialists in a particular field of disability, such as epilepsy. By midday, we are usually home from our errands, picking up meds, bread, extra things from shelving to toothpaste. Sometimes the day is generous and allows us a senior nap before more errands. Three days a week, there is a wholesale food order that must be completed and a vegetable and fruit order. There are days when you're so tired, you can hardly imagine doing one more thing. And for me, it's done with a translator at hand. Nothing is simple. Conversation is hard. Communication takes the greatest patience. Movement through the house is never a solitary stride unless before dawn, which hardly ever occurs that I rise so early to make coffee. Readers want to know the personal stories of our families and I can only deliver to you incomplete ones. To begin, their personal lives are not my business unless a story is shared. And as you can see, there is literally always something lost in translation. Have I hurt someone's feelings? Sometimes I sit at the table across from another. Perhaps it is just the two of us at that moment and she is crying alone. Do I force an encounter? I can't reach across the table without great awkwardness, so I stay still looking elsewhere. What good will it do anyway if I know someone so intimately? Is that really the objective of care? Must I know each little detail like some small town gossip and for what? So I can disclose the suffering in a diary? The high points are easily identifiable. Loss. Loss of home, dignity, rights, language, history, culture, lifestyle, friends, family, and pets. That should keep us busy. Contemplating of just one, for example, loss of a pet. We've all been there, so we know what that feels like. The stakes are higher in war, of course, and most of us do not know the effects of this. Loss of home, loss of, pl of place how to begin again. There are 35 to 40 residents on any given day, depending on capacity. Each one must come to terms in their own way, in their own time, as to how to begin again, even the children. My task is a different one, a collective one. If you take Young at his word and answer to Job, then man, he can no longer wiggle out of responsibility on the plea of his littleness and nothingness. For the dark God has slipped the atom bomb and chemical weapons, and I add this, and I add to this list biowarfare, into his hands and given him the power to empty out the ap apocalyptic viral vials of wrath on his fellow creatures. Since he has been granted an almost godlike power, he can no longer remain blind and unconscious. He must know something of God's nature and of metaphysical processes if he is to understand himself and thereby achieve gnosis of the divine. Ukrainian families are rendered homeless at alarming rates around the globe. Their hosts are tired. This is not the response nor the action from those who have been cast as observers 
our role is to remain strong and to witness, to assist in the care of another human being without needing to know all details that one suffers is enough. How do I restore myself? I write these diaries for one as it is my way of witnessing. I'm writing a new fairy tale. I'm writing for the children in their circus. I listen to late Baroque music as often as is possible and twice a week to my husband teaching recorder to Alicia. I try to surround myself with beauty. I am moving through the house alongside others, not asking for privacy, but asking how I can be of service. The only thing that really matters now is whether man can climb up to a higher moral level to a higher plane of consciousness. This quote is from Young and his answer to Joe. I cannot turn my back on this. We must accept the sacrifice as a vehicle to both personal growth and the collective growth of consciousness. So yes, I have changed and I will never again be the same. But if it means strengthening my commitment to God, if it means understanding better both his nature and my own, if it means, as Jung points out, rising to a higher moral level, then the sacrifice is worth the loss of an old life. Five new residents arrived last week, Luba and her son, Stefan, and most recently on Friday, Marina and her eldest son, Kay, and the youngest, M, who is severely handicapped. He was born four months premature, but received poor hospital care. He is now 11 and cannot walk or speak, feed or dress himself, but he does like being wheeled around outside. He's got the sweetest face. So this is the end of my most recent war dryers written by Amber. I hope you enjoyed them. And if you have any questions, or anything about our trip to Poland, please reach out to me through my website. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.